On this episode of Missing the Point, we sit down with Emmy Award-winning reporter and host of NBC Sports Boston's Early Edition, Trenny Kisnarek. We'll discuss her transition from her broadcasting career in rural and polite Wisconsin to the culture shock of moving to and working in hectic city environments like New York and Boston. We'll also discuss the current state of the Patriots, what it was like to cover three Olympic Games, the importance of taking care of your mental health, and a Boston Marathon story Trenny would probably like to forget. But first, some housekeeping. Missing the Point is a one-hour podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcript from today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as on our website, www.mtpshow.com. If you're new to the show, please consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Let us know how we're doing and how we can sound better. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias. All of our links will be in the show notes. And check out our brand new website, www.mtpshow.com. That's mtpshow.com. And now, this is Missing the Point, episode 27. But it's all relative. Welcome, everybody, into Missing the Point. My name's Joe Malkin, joined tonight by Bob Kelly and our EP, Craig D'Alessandro. And we have a very special guest for everyone tonight. She is an Emmy Award-winning sports anchor and reporter who currently works for NBC Sports Boston. Previously, she spent time at WQOW-TV in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, WDJT-TV in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She's been at FSN Pittsburgh, ABC Sports, MLB Network, Big Ten Network and FSN Wisconsin, a 1999 graduate of Marquette University. And since coming to Boston, she's had stints on WEEI, 98.5 The Sports Hub. But one thing we can't fail to mention is that back in high school, she was the captain of the Muskego High School Palm Squad, which is a badass name. Wisconsin native Trenny Kisnerik. Trenny, how are you? That's quite the bio, you guys. I might hire you and bring you places. Uh, uh, please walk into a room i'm I'm all about being a man so um we wanted to uh, bring you on tonight and talk about what it's like to cover boston sports especially as kind of being uh, not i want to call you an outsider you've been here for a long time now but being from the midwest okay joe everybody um, still does on twitter when they don't like what i say so it's fine well of of course and they i mean they do yeah boston Boston loves to do that to people we all know that Yeah, they they do it to to oh, Felger. Yeah. Uh, they do it to they do it to the morning show guys, uh, Toucher and Rich. They just it's it's what we like to do. Well, I shouldn't say we because I don't do it, but you know if you know sports, you know sports. <laughs> wow, way to call me out, Bobby. So um, I I think we'll go to Bobby for this first question because this is something we were talking about uh, prior to coming on. But um, you know what it's like to to be coming from the Midwest. So. Bob Kelly, go ahead. Yeah, so my first question that came to my head is you have all this background with the Midwest. Um, you know, you, you've been covering sports for all this time with, from uh, from the Packers to NFL Network, now coming over to Boston. What is Boston compared, like, to the other cities that you've covered in? That's that's something that's just always been the, uh, something I wonder is how our passion and how we deal with losing and winning and everything like that compared to, you know, 
Green Bay or Wisconsin or Milwaukee, uh, all those different cities. Well, I love my hometown. I am um, more proud of Wisconsin now than I than I was um, this time four years ago. Um, but it's not even close, right? Like here, sports talk radio shows consistently are the most listened to shows in the market. In Milwaukee, people listen to them, but only if you're like a hardcore sports fan. They're not like tearing up the airwaves. You don't have two regional sports networks. You don't have two like 24-hour sports stations. Um, but also, to be fair, you don't have you don't have the money, right? So you don't have the you don't have the same championship history because outside of the Packers, um, in, in a league where there's a lot of parity, it's hard to win. I mean, having grown up a Brewers fan, like I would give anything anything for them to to like be in a world series and finally win a world series the last time they were in a world series you guys weren't even born and i was five <laughs> so like and felger was like 52 just kidding Felger. That's uh, about right so that to me is there's like a different passion the only so i worked in pittsburgh for five years pittsburgh was really passionate as well um and then i, I because i was in in pittsburgh i did for whatever reason like we did a lot with Philadelphia. So I'd go there a lot. Philadelphia, like to me, Boston and Philadelphia are by far the two most passionate fan bases in the entire country. I don't even think Chicago, New York, LA, none of them compare to Boston and Philadelphia, but Boston wins and Philadelphia doesn't. So that was going to be my next question because there's been, you know, some videos that go around now with social media, professional athletes and sports reporters and, uh, of the like they everybody gets to give their opinions and answer the questions. And there was a, a, a Chris Gronkowski video that going around where they asked him uh, what his favorite city to play in was and what his least favorite city to play in was. He said his favorite was green Bay because everybody was nice. He thought that everybody was just being nice to him to psych him out. And he said no. the worst place he played was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, like how rate are, okay. I won't get super fan wise. I won't get R rated on this. Cause I don't know if this is a family show, but I once you can get I us once went if you want. to um okay, I can get R rated. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So I went to a game in Philadelphia the year, I think it was the year after the Packers lost tw- to that like that 28, like it's like that 28 and third, like third and 28 game. Remember that? Like back oh, yeah, in Brett yeah, Favre. Yeah. So the next year I go to Philadelphia. I'm in a Packers jersey. I'm way up, like way up, like in a Packers section. And I'm walking around um, this. I don't even know if it was the new stadium or the older one. And I'm walking through the concourse. And keep in mind, at this point, this is one year after they beat us on third and 28. They are crushing us at halftime. Like the, the Packers aren't either. They don't have a shot at winning the game. And I'm walking through and people are booing me. And they're like kind of bumping into me because I have a Packers, like a Brett Favre jersey on. And a guy looks at me. And he goes, and he looks dead in my eye and he goes, you can suck my dick Packers fan, but you're hot. And I was like, what? And I was like, what just happened? And then he tried to talk to me. I was like, what, where am I? I The worst pickup line in the history. He might've even used the C word. It might've even been more crude than like, I remember it, but I was so like, wow, this is the worst place ever. Where if you go, if you go to um, Green Bay, I, I was there as a Packers fan and they were playing the chiefs. And I think, I think God, every time I go, the Packers lose, I think the Packers had lost to the chiefs and like people were congratulating the chiefs fans. And they're like, where are we? What is happening right now? 
like, wait, you're congratulating. They're like, good game, man. It was close. Good game. Good game. You know, let's go to, let's go get a beer and a butter burger at Kroll's. You know, it's interesting because New England used to be like that too. Pre-2007, New England was like that where, where we, a team would come in and we'd beat them or they'd beat us and we'd congratulate the losing team. And then after that, uh, I don't want to, it's you R-rated, it right? I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to cry. I don't think any of our shows have been not on uh, have been not. You know, no, none of yeah. I understand. You have to put the little e next to every one of our episodes. I like it, so, I like it. At, but after the 2007 season is when we became not so nice to opposing fans, especially Jets and Colts and Pittsburgh Steelers fans. But I got to say, from the, all the stories I hear from Philadelphia, oh, uh, we're teddy bears compared to everybody else. I'm gonna say, I feel like Boston. Tell me if you think this is right, Jody. Uh, Boston has that same attitude but at the same time it's more of like a a friendly like we're gonna we're gonna hassle you we're gonna do that but at the same time like we're still not gonna try and fight you and that's what philly does is like it really gets down to yeah, it. yeah like it, it it does it feels like there's always a fight that's like right on the edge mm-hmm. and i guess maybe that's the case in boston and just because the teams here have been so good for so long that there hasn't been much to fight about um sure. Or maybe now because I cover teams here and I went to those like the games in Philly more often than not as a fan. Um, so like I experienced it a little bit more, but I don't feel like I've ever been at Fenway, even like at Fenway for like a Yankees game or at Gillette for a Jets or a Steelers game or something and felt like, ooh, this might turn bad fast. Philadelphia, it's like this might turn bad. In New England, I've noticed uh, as a season ticket holder that sometimes it's the opposing fans that are worse than the the home fans, uh, 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 Seahawks fans. Oddly enough, really? not yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, tree huggers. I know, I know. You you would think you would think they must have been from Spokane or something, you know, like western part of the state. So th- it's an interesting story. Don't because- call it Spokane like that. What do you have against Spokane, bro? <laughs> it's not as crunchy as Seattle. I don't, that, that joke fell flat. Uh, but so one thing, one thing, uh, my wife is also not from here. She's from the West Coast. And when she first came here and started working in Boston, she worked at the New England Aquarium for a short period of time. And she had her first, okay, now I'm in Boston moment because it is so different where, where our sports fans are a little bit friendlier, right. But not necessarily Boston residents. So what, what was your like first, all right, I'm out of the, you know, we're, we're not in Milwaukee anymore, Toto. Well, so I did live in New York for a time. So I had been, and Pittsburgh has more of an East coast sort of edge to it than it does Midwest. Like it's a little like rougher and tougher. So, but it's weird. One of my East Coast moments, I think, like where I really was like, wow, this place is different. Was I might have been here. I want to say it was the second time my brother came to visit me. So I might have been here maybe two years at the time, and or maybe three. And my brother had come to visit me, and we're on the T, we're taking the green line, and he just starts talking to someone on the T. And I am mortified. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, my head, I'm like, what are you doing? You don't speak to people. Like, this is the subway. You take the tea, you read your phone or you read your book, you listen to your music, and then you get off. So we get off the tea. And I was like, Brian, my brother's name is Brian. I was like, Brian, I love you, kid. But, and I know you're like just trying to be, you know, like polite and chatty and conversational and friendly. I was like, but 
you can't talk to people when they're on the team. He's like, but why? The guy talking up was like, because he probably thought that you were like off kilter. Like he probably thought there was something wrong with you and felt bad for you. It was like, <laughs> you don't speak to people here. And he's like, but we talk to people all the time in the Midwest. I was like, yeah, and it's annoying. Nobody wants to be talked to when they're just trying to read a book on the tee. And that's, I mean, he's like, wow. He's like, what's happened to you? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't talk to strangers anymore. <laughs> you, you don't talk to strangers and you realize you were in Boston and the, the sports uh, fan base is very uh, passionate. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That kind of, yeah. Similar thing happened to my wife. She asked for directions coming out of uh cell station and the guy basically flipped her off and walked away. So I was like, I welcome to Boston, sweetheart. I do think people here, if you need something and you ask for it, I do think that the East coast gets a bad rap. Like it's just, I explain this to people in the Midwest all the time. Like People here, it's just, there's more traffic. There's more people. And so if you, like, I don't mind helping you, but I don't have time to hear about your whole life when I'm helping you because I probably only have like six minutes to get to somewhere so that I get the right train and then I keep like, you know, how's all my day doesn't completely get thrown off. And so that's all it is. I think any, you know, we wouldn't leave you bleeding on the ground. We would at least call 911, but I might not (laughs) then like ask you your whole life story while you're laying there. Yeah, sure. Which really tells. Yeah, it's a. It is a totally like. I go home to the grocery store, and somebody looks at my license and sees Massachusetts, and suddenly I'm in like a 15 minute conversation about what it's. Oh, yo, oh, you live in Boston. Oh my. <laughs> oh, what is it like out there? Oh, I've always heard it's a beautiful city. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> is the clam chowder really that good? What do you do here? Is your parents? And you're like, Jesus, lady. I'm just trying to buy some groceries and get to my, my parents' house and have like a bottle of wine. And, you know, it's like, it's like that they'll talk and the line is backing up and everyone just sits there patiently. No one says anything. They just stand there. We're in Boston. At Boston, a stop and shop would be a riot breaking oh, yeah, out he, in the I, aisle seven in the lose, freezer aisle. I would you lose know? my mind. My boyfriend and I went to Nantucket. I don't mean to throw him under the bus, but he's kind of impatient. And we're waiting to get like, we were waiting to order like coffee and something happened where like the guy who was in front of us was chatting with the, the, the woman. He clearly hadn't seen this woman in a long time. And I can just see him seething under his mask. Like I just want my coffee. We have to catch a ferry. I don't know what's going on. Why are they being social? And I was like, they're just trying to catch up. That's when the Midwest comes out. And you're like, Oh, they're just, Oh yeah. They're just trying to catch up. Oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah it, I mean, and you're right. It's just it's just faster here. But it's so funny because now when you go home, you have a little bit of that mix of that Boston. Oh, yeah. So you're like, all right, come on. Let's go. Like, let's, let's get go. through let's this. Go. Let's go. Yeah. Well, everything moves a little bit slower uh, when you when yes. you get west of New York City and Philadelphia. Yes. Uh, so I have one other question that that's something that because I saw you work in Wisconsin, Green Bay, you're a Packers fan, obviously grew up a Packers fan. What is Lombardi Field like? Is is it that is it that amazing Lam- out Lambo there? Lambo Field? Lambo, Lambo. That's what I meant. Uh, you, know. Lombardi yeah, I, you know what? I know it's Lombardi I know it's Trophy. All, you know what I meant? All named after Fr- Freudian slip. You know, just all it's all the I same. Bobby, I was gonna say she's gonna click leave faster than you can finish this question. <laughs> Why don't you go make me a sandwich, Bobby? You don't know anything about sports. That's what someone would say to me if I had a Freudian slip. Why don't you go? She's so dumb. She's name with sports. <laughs> Make a sandwich. Um, Lambo honestly is if you once we're all in the non before times, thanks. We're oh. um when we're allowed back in stadiums, um, and I don't know when, let's see, the Patriots played 
the Packers here, I think it was two or three years ago now. So they should be coming back up on the schedule in Green Bay in the next season or two. Honest to God, if you can make the pilgrimage, it is a really cool place to see a football game. Like there's nothing like it. First of all, Green Bay is two hours north of Milwaukee, like three and a half hours north of Chicago. I mean, once you get like a little bit out, like you're passing places like Sheboygan. You're getting up near my grand today. I had to like write out my grandma's card to send to her for Christmas. Yes, I still have a grandmother. It's unbelievable. She's in like Kakana. <laughs> you know, my cousin lives in Nina. Like there, it's just like it's it's salt of the earth, and you're driving up ninety or forty three north, like kind of along Lake Michigan, and you come up over this like bridge, and suddenly you just see Lambo. It's the only thing that's in town that like stands more than four stories tall. Then you see Lambo, and then when you get there. It's not like any other football stadium where you have like massive parking lots. There's two sort of smaller parking lots on either side. Everywhere else that people park, you park in like a Shopco parking lot or on somebody's front lawn. Like they'll charge you like, and there like 20 bucks for parking. It's like, whoo, it's expensive. You know, but, but then you go in their house and they allow you to like use their Packer themed bathroom. And they've got like tailgates on side streets. It's just, it's like, it's such a unique experience. And even when you get in the doors, um, like the new atrium is really nice. They do have like a new, I haven't been back since they built like a, like an entertainment sort of district around. Um, but even like the new like atrium and the, there's like a couple restaurants inside, but then when you get inside the actual stadium, the actual bowl, if you, most of the main seating area is still bleachers, metal bleachers. So cool. Which I know sounds kind of miserable in like December, but if you, you can rent like little chairs that you can sit on or just like grab a blanket, you know, bring have a blankets around your butt. It's, it's, I mean, it's un to me, it's the best place in the world to see a football game. We, we had that at Foxborough Stadium before Gillette. Now it's Except all Foxborough Stadium. Now it's all bougie. They have all these shops. There's a movie theater. We went there the other night to drive through the parking lots to go through the Christmas lights. It was, I'm like, you know, let's be a little more down home, like, like Green Bay. I mean, Foxborough is more like Green Bay than it's like Milwaukee. Yeah, right? but think about like when the national news networks come. Like when they go to Green Bay, they take like shots of cows. And here they come like they don't they rarely take any like scenics of Foxborough. It's all, it's all Boston, Boston flyovers. Never. Yeah. yeah. It's always 40, 45 minutes south of Boston. We're in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Exactly. Well, they, they almost make in, it seem like. One way out, by the way. What a mess. Oh, yeah. It's brutal oh, over there. <laughs> they, they almost make it seem like it's right next to Boston, though, because they're like, oh, we'll be right back to Gillette Stadium. And then they cut to this shot of the Prudential Center, and it's like, well. You're nowhere near the there. Bro- this is in Chicago. If I went to, to Foxborough right now, I'd get there by like the fourth quarter. <laughs> actually funny story about that i i actually made it from it was a one o'clock game my flight landed at eleven thirty in at logan i got off the plane into my mother's car with my wife we were coming back from a trip to dallas patriots were ironically playing the, the cowboys and i got to uh gillette stadium at 107 wow. i got to my my mom is a crazy driver she's from providence so uh she's she's kind of nuts but we got i got into the stadium and there was only two minutes left everyone was very impressed and i got that a standing actually, ovation that is actually really impressive. there was a touchdown scored on the field at the same time but i figured it was just, just for me though 
It was definitely for you, hundred percent. Oh, one one hundred percent. So, speaking of the the people in in Boston, and now we've talked about the Midwest and what it's like to watch a game at, at uh, Lambeau Field. Uh, I didn't want to screw that up like Bobby did. Um, did you get that sandwich for Trenny yet? Yeah, I did. I, I have it. It's cooking. You have it. It's okay. Toasting, yeah. Perfect. You did. That was yeah, really fast. I like fast. bread toasted on my sandwiches. Always makes it just a smidge better. I figured. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> also a mayo gal, a mayo, mayo and spicy mustard. Oh yeah! All right, well, mix them together. Yep. Mayo yep. on one side. Yep. That, yeah. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> and now I'm hungry again. I've already yeah, eaten real. dinner. So the we, sandwiches all around then, or yes, if you could please deliver <laughs> deliver them from Albany. Um, so I'm actually looking at a uh, a picture right now of you on the court of uh, TD Garden. Uh, this is from the from Biography Tribune. It's uh, from when? When is this from? It doesn't have a timestamp on it, but it is from your Instagram. And you're sitting on the court with uh, none other than Drew Bledsoe and Gary Tangle. Oh yeah, that's when Drew. Isn't that like when he had the the he was there and he was like rooting for Terry Rozier or something? And then didn't he have like a rose for Rozier? Like wasn't there something with that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, they had a blood. He had uh, Terry showed up with a Bledsoe oh, yeah. jersey the next day. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Which is, yeah, because I think he's wearing the shirt in that interview because it's just a T-shirt, yeah. so it must be his wine company, uh, which I've always wanted to try his wine. I've never I, tried I, it I either, but I've actually have. heard it's pretty good. Oh, well, he's doing – I mean, he played He played pretty well in the NFL, so, uh, it, you know, we'll uh, – I made the, the comment last night on our other episode that the last quarterback that the Patriots actually paid was Drew Bledsoe. I got everybody fired up. I mean, you're uh, not wrong. Everybody, See, that's what I'm saying. Brady got some money, but he was here for a long time. What do you expect? Uh, trying to start a whole bunch of business now, Mike. Yeah, she did just start a whole bunch of that's business. Go, you I'm, know that's going right in our group chat, right, Trini? Be like, listen, Trini agreed with me. So, uh, well, like, you know. I mean, just not wrong, though. I mean, Tom Brady <laughs> consistently over and over and over, you know. Listen, he's not poor. It's not like the, you know, it's not like the guy's having to work a second job in the offseason, but he certainly structured his deals, I think, with the hope that then that money would be used to put high powered weapons around him. And at least later in his career, post 2007, that didn't happen. It's he right. never got and he never got an Aaron Rodgers type deal to like bring it back to the Packers. He certainly never even got like a do you even ever get like a Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, who right now is like that? Who are the top five paid quarterbacks in the NFL? Brady well, might be wants one of them. to be Ma- Matthew Stafford. Dak, yeah. yeah, I thought Dak Prescott was on that list. Like Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, and come on, Tom Brady. Hey, I'm a cowboy. I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan, hey, by the what? way. Just so you Why? Know. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's it, it's a travesty. It's a whole. I know you. I know. First God, Lombardi Field. Now life. I'm a Cowboys fan. I know. It's brutal. It's brutal. How did that happen? So my dad, my dad's a Cowboys fan, and it just kind of happened. Like the first football game I remember was the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl, and we haven't been back since. But it was the first game I ever remembered, and I just fell in love with him. I don't know. I fell in love with Quincy Carter. I guess I know crazy Quincy Carter of all people so I have so I know that transitions to something real quick Des caught it right he caught it yeah I think he did. come on training Des caught that ball Des caught that ball I think he did but doesn't matter because guess what yeah Packers advanced so that's all that matters (laughs) (laughs) it's like the tuck rule it's like the tuck rule in the snow game against the Raiders like everybody knows that that totally like that swung the entire Patriots trajectory. Probably not the right call, but eh, 
it's hot wet. So funny story about that too. The week of Thanksgiving, we talked to Dean Blandino. I'm sure you know who oh, Dean yes. Blandino yes. is. Yeah. We talked to Dean Blandino and that was one of the questions we asked him, you know, what, what do you think? And he, cause he was at the time, he wasn't the replay official in the booth, but he was the basically the head of replay for the NFL at that time. And he said under the, under the rules in 2001, it's an incomplete pass. Now, it would have been a completely different call, which is amazing to think about with, with rules and and the way they are uh, in in sports. So I, I I just have to change this because Craig wrote it in the chat and it's, (laughs) I think it's our favorite Olympic sport of all time. And you covered it at the Sochi Olympics. You, yes, you you were the, do not leave out Pyeongchang when they won the gold medal. That's right. And Pyeongchang. I saw Sochi and I was like, done. She was in Russia. Uh, but you were also in South Korea. So, uh, but what was that like to one cover the Olympics Two cover the Olympics in Russia and call curling? That's, that's awesome. So in fairness, I didn't call, I didn't have to call curling. That would have been an absolute disaster because, um, so when I went to my first Olympics, I just got really lucky. It was, it was in Sochi and, there were just a couple of people who didn't, I don't know if you guys remember this at the time, but they were really worried about terrorism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were a couple of reporters, um, cause they take a smaller staff to the winter Olympics than they do to the summer Olympics. Um, and, and so at the last minute, a couple of reporters were like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going to go. They backed out. And so it ended up having a domino effect where like Steve Sands from the golf channel was supposed to be the curling reporter. And they moved him to short track speed skating instead. Um, and then they, they were in a panic. And, and my boss, um, or the guy who hired me, was like, hey, I've got this reporter. She's, you know, I, I think she can handle the assignment. We'll set, let's send her. And they were like, do you want to go to Russia? They had to like expedite my visa. They literally, this is how long ago it was. They sent me like DVDs to watch of like curling matches. And I'm watching and I'm like, how am I going to ask athletes questions about this? Like, this is going to be an abject disaster. Um, but it wasn't, and it helped a little bit that that year, the United States was so bad. Like the men, I don't, I don't think the men won a single round Robin match. And I think the women won one. If my memory serves. I remember that story because I remember in 2018, it, it was like a whole revamp of the curling system in the United States, which it sounds weird even coming out of my mouth. But yeah, I, I remember they that, have a, that they, they have were like so elite, bad. They have like elite teams now, like where you're put on like a, a path where like you train separately from like people who might not be true like Olympians. So like AAU for curling, essentially. Well, I mean, more like a more of like an <laughs> Olympic pipeline type of a program where you're, you know, you participate in bond spiels or you know, um, or tournaments around the country, and they sort of identify their high level like performance athletes, and they put them on certain nutrition plans and weightlifting. Like they have kind of this whole different sort of training. It's kind of like being a high level gymnast, like. You know, they identify you at a young age and they're like, they might have Olympic potential. So you'll get ready differently. Um, But the Olympics was an amazing, like, I, I feel so blessed that I've been able to go now from, I did Sochi and then I did Rio and then I was in Pyeongchang. um, And then I was supposed to go to Japan, 
Um, I was also on the NBC broadcast team for Japan. Uh, hopefully, I slated to go um, this July. I, you know, I don't. Well, I'd assume we'll know a little bit more in the next like three or four months about like you know how mm. many people they can take over and what the parameters will be and whatnot. But it is such a cool experience. Like it's such. It is a. Like, if you're like a news broadcasting kind of a geek, it's just a production on like the largest of scales. And it's also, I'm not going to lie, like kind of cool that you're just like grabbing lunch and Al Michaels is like next to you. Or, you know, I, Doc does not remember this at all because he meets a million people. But in Sochi, I had breakfast like two or three times at Doc Emmerich. And I just did like, I just did like, and he, I, I mean, he, he just sat and told stories for like ever. Right. And I had to do this, um, just like a zoom interview with him like two weeks ago. And he was like, well, Trenny, it was really nice to meet you. And I was like, mm, well, apparently our breakfast is dinner. <laughs> you know, I was going to say, uh, doc was probably sitting there now telling this story to someone else going, I met Trenny Kisner. Nope. nope. And, but no, nope, right. definitely. No Michaels, though. I did not leave a mark on him. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Does he sound as awesome in person oh as he does on yes. TV? Yes. that like, Keep yeah. amazing voice. And he's just like a really, really great, kind guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then like, and and then not like again, I feel like I'm sort of name dropping, but like in Pyeongchang, like one morning we're sitting there and like Katie Kirk sides up and she just like starts chatting with us. And one day she was like, Would you take like, these pictures of me in these boots? I want to post them on Instagram. And I was like, <laughs> sure. Okay. You were Katie Kirk's photo. Yeah, okay. yeah, That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> amazing. Um, so it's like it, it's like experiences like that where it's just, it's, you feel like you're part of this large, amazing, big scale, big time event, right? Like when I, when I got hired at NBC, I remember telling them in my interview, like they asked like long-term goals for me. And I was like, one of my long-term goals is I really would love to be, I know that sometimes you use local regional talent at the Olympics. I said, it would be a dream for me to do one Olympics. Um, and now I've been able to do three, hopefully four. And then hopefully, cause we'll have Beijing right after, um, Sure. Tokyo. Now they'll be back to back years. Um, hopefully Beijing as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like in curling, it's, it's fun for me because a lot of the guys are from like Minnesota and Wisconsin. So like, like, like the, I don't know if you guys, so you guys are curling fans. You'll probably remember this, but the Hamilton, Becca and Matt Hamilton did doubles. And then Matt Hamilton was on the gold winning, um, team for, um, for, for team USA. They're from McFarland, Wisconsin. Like I helped Matt pick out a Christmas present one year for his wife and like dropped it off at their house. And like, it's like, you know, so random, you know, whereas I covered tennis in, um, you know, in Rio, but they're like real big stars, right? Like they're all millionaires. And, and like, I even saw them on the plane and it was like, I didn't even exist anymore where to this day, I will still get messages from like John Schuster or Maddie Hamilton or Becca Hamilton or like somebody that that plays on that that played on that team like that will just see it, that I tweeted something or posted something on Instagram and like comment on it. They're just so down to earth and so awesome. And it's it's a hard gig, too. I mean, I'm not trying to like yeah. be like, oh, poor me. I have to go to the Olympics. But like when you cover curling, my first first of all, you're first event is the day before the opening ceremonies and your last, my last event is always the day of the closing ceremonies, no dark days. So most other sports get at least like one dark day, like just in case conditions aren't right or to give the athletes 
time to rest, not curling. Curling is like every single day, like, like three sessions a day where there were times where I was working like between 17 and 19 hours a day. Like I'm just true story. One time I went into hair and makeup and the woman was doing my hair and she's like, I don't mean to be rude, but like, you really need to wash your hair. She's like, it's really hard for me to curl it. And I was like, no, I swear to God, I washed it this morning. She was like, I, and she's like, no, it's really hard. <laughs> so later on that day, I get back to my hotel room. I'm exhausted. I had worked all day. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I was like, oh my God, I did wash my hair this morning and I never rinsed out the shampoo. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I That's was awesome. So That's funny. Tired. I was so exhausted. I worked so many hours and my head was like spinning and I literally put the shampoo in my hair and like put it in and barely <laughs> rinsed it out. And then just went and like blow dried my hair and had no idea. That's awesome. Well, I mean, we've all worked in some form of communications, but you, you mentioned working 17 hour days. Isn't that the best though? Like, I know this is wacky coming from somebody like coming out loud, but it's, it's almost so fulfilling yeah. something about working those long Absolutely, days man. and just you go, go, go. And then it's like, all right, I got to sleep. Cause I got to get back up in the morning and do it all over again. And it's like, Oh, and then there are times where you're like, you know what? I don't care how old I am. I'm still going to push it. And I'm going to go have a cocktail with the rest of the crew down at the hotel bar, you know? And then Mm -hmm. you're like, forgetting to rinse out your shampoo the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the story behind the story. Got it. And suddenly your hair is in a ponytail. And everyone's like, why is your hair in a ponytail? I was like, well, I don't know. My hair person said it was dirty. (laughs) Crazy lady. Kept telling her that I washed my hair. And the next day I did sheepishly come back and I was like, so... I technically washed my hair, but I also forgot to wash out the shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> At least you came clean. Wow, geez. A dad joke, and I didn't even realize you it. Well played. Do that. No, I didn't. Yeah. I was on. <laughs> it is. It's ingrained. When you have two kids, you just it's it's the dad, dad jokes, jokes are strong with this one. They do. And, and my wife is really getting frustrated with the fact that I, I basically talk in dad jokes and movie quotes. Um, so she's not, she's not the only one. She, I, I understand. Guys. I'm so sorry. All right. No, you're not. Gosh, don't ruin it. I mean, we just met Trenny. Okay. We don't want to ruin this. Um, of the three Olympics, which was your favorite? I mean, I like them all, I guess Rio, but just because I like the summer Olympics, I like warm weather. Um, and I was able to really sort of like get out and kind of do things, but I would put Pyeongchang or like a one a, um, for the simple fact that when you get to cover anyone from the United States winning a gold medal, it is the coolest experience. And to watch such a, it's such, it was such a like a legitimate, like cinder, not legitimate Cinderella story, but like, I guess it was yeah, like a legitimate Cinderella story. Like no one expected the United States to win the gold. Um, and Russia was special because it was my first, but Russia was weird. Russia was a weird place. Like, first of all, it felt like we felt really isolated. Um, and everything was like, you had to wear your badge everywhere you went. So like, I would go, I was training for the, the Boston marathon at the time. And like, I would have to, like, you have these huge badges and I had to like tuck it in and my back, like around my neck and, and down the back of my shirt. And also it was warm. This is so weird, but it was like usually in the fifties or sixties in Sochi all the time. Cause we were down at the coastal cluster. Um, and then like, I would go running, they had, it wasn't really safe to just run anywhere. So when I would do long runs and there was like a couple of times where I did like a 16 or 18 mile, I literally just ran across. They basically built like a track, like a straight line track 
outside of the hotel and along the, it was beautiful, along the Black Sea. But then all of a sudden, guys, it would stop. It would just stop. And then there was like weird fencing. And when I went to ask where to run one day, the concierge or whoever was like, oh, you can go this, you know, in this direction. It's a couple of miles each way. You can just go back and forth. He said, but when you get to the fencing on the far end, he said, do not try to walk around or go somewhere else. He's like, that's the country of Georgia. And if you go over, we can't get you back. And I was like, okay, all right, great. Fun times. So you turned right back. I did take a picture like, hey, I'm right by Georgia. But yeah, that was it. Your times got a lot faster. Yeah, also that was, and also they had like fake buildings everywhere because they, they had like raised this town in order to put up all the Olympic venues. And so one morning I'm like looking out on my balcony and I see, and I'm like, that's a weird looking house. And so I took a picture of it and zoomed in. It was completely empty on the inside and they just had put like um, a tarp around it with a sketching and an, like an etching of, of like windows in a door to make it look from far away like a house. That's so strange. And there were stray dogs everywhere because they had I like heard that. Kicked, I heard that was like a problem. It was, it was like a problem because Olympic. they had kicked yeah. people out of their homes yeah. to build these facilities and then not let them, they didn't let them take their dogs with. There were just dogs everywhere. And then they started youth like, it was awful. It was weird. Um, with that said, there's something weirdly <laughs> fascinating also about Russia, and it was a very beautiful country. Um, it's like it's 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 a communist country. It's like kind of it's weird. There's no I, yeah. that's, that's not a very eloquent way to describe Russia. I would like to go back and see Moscow and St. Petersburg. It's different. I shouldn't say weird. That's not right. People probably think America is weird in certain places. It is. It was a different experience. It, it did feel very cold and restrained. Um, like it, it just, whereas Pyeongchang and Rio, there was like a real joy, even though there were always, there's always issues. I think everywhere where there's ends up being an Olympics, there's always some controversy, but something about those two places felt more joyful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a little bit different, you know, South Korea and, and Brazil aren't exactly communist right. countries. So it, yeah, but uh, yeah. And you were a little bit further East in Russia. So when, when they say, if you go over the border of Georgia, you're not coming back. That's a, uh, that's definitely yeah, like a problem. Basically, like, they would they could maybe <laughs> shoot you. And I was like, cool. It's not really what I want to happen. I'm not going to do that. Then. Do uh, yeah. But trust me, man, every day I was like, what if they really shoot me? Like, what if we just like swam over? <laughs> <laughs> Let's find one out. arm over the border. I, did, I was like, like what about I now? Love, I love yeah. getting stamps on my passport. <laughs> <laughs> if you could just shoot my passport um so <laughs> you like so on? Yay! Yeah. yeah oh boy uh it's like a taser that just shoots out all right anyway so you you mentioned you were name dropping before you name dropped katie Couric. you name dropped Al Michaels. oh god now but it's terrible now i sound like a jerk <laughs> no because we're gonna name drop someone else that we're gonna be talking to soon and someone else that that uh, you know well and you work with and that's abby chin uh, who we'll be talking to on Missing the Point on Thursday uh, to come out at, at a later date. But, um, you know, we, we talked before we got on about um, you. There was a picture of the two of you wearing a similar dress. So now we have to know the backstory because uh, obviously she was just hired back by yep. NBC Boston uh, and she's coming on with us after after we talk with you. So uh, we want to we want to hear about your relationship with Abby and, and what the, the, the dress story is. Well, Abby, first and foremost, is one of my dearest friends. We started like three months apart. I started um, in September, like September 10th was my first day at NBC which was then Comcast Sportsnet. She started like around the same time, but in December. 
Um, so we've been like pals, like went to her wedding. I, you know, go to her kids' birthday parties, the whole nine. I've even seen them uh, during pandemic, like in real life. I've seen them, her and her wonderful it's husband. It's like a real privilege like a, I right know, there. I know, right? <laughs> so she shows up today and I'm so excited. I come back. I like had curled my hair and put on my dress and stuff to, for my show. And then I came out, talked to my producer and I go over and I see Mike Gorman talking to her. And I was like, oh, Michael, hi. I'm like, Abby, Abigail, oh my God, you're back. And she looks at me and she's like, oh my God. I'm like, oh my God, are we wearing the same dress? And they weren't exactly <laughs> the same, but I wore the one Abby had on today a few weeks ago. Hers was like, more formal. Hers was like nice, sort of form fitting, like really nice material. Mine was more of like a sweatshirty type dress. And I threw on, um, um, and I threw on like sneakers with mine and she had like nice heels on, but they both, the like telling sign that we both look the same as they had this like weird sort of Star Trekky puffy shoulders on them. So we looked exactly the same. So we made Max Letterman, our producer, um, take a picture of us. <laughs> Mike Gorman wasn't wearing a dress, was he? No, he was not. He looked lovely though. As he always does. I, it was nice before I, before when I was eating dinner, before I talked to you guys, I flipped on the Celtics game. And I was like, man, it's nice to hear Mike's voice again. Isn't it? It's great. It really oh, is. We, we, we can't wait till God, next week. so good. Nothing better than hear him go, got it. Oh, got <laughs> it. <laughs> we're, we're doing our, our NBA preview show on, on Sunday. So we're very excited to, to get into the NBA. And I am the least NBA fan of the group, but I will tell you, sorry, secondly is behind Craig, but I will tell you that a former Celtic currently lives in my head rent free and I can't stand the guy and I don't mind saying it out loud. And that's Kyrie Irving. Oh, I, okay, good. Yeah. Well, nobody likes Kyrie Irving. Oh, thank you. I just, is there anyone that love. does? I mean, I'm sure there is. Like, maybe his Brand. mom. Maybe Kevin Durant. Yeah, maybe his mom. His mom. Yeah, well, we know his mom does. His mom seems like a wonderful lady. But He's so if you had to pick. So I know. He is. Everything that comes out of his mouth is just face palm. That's really what it's everything he says. It's just like, dude, what? <laughs> That's great. Everything that comes out of his mouth is face palm. I like that. Here you go. Do, now, in Cleveland, we were having this discussion today. Does Cleveland win a championship? without Kyrie if they still have LeBron when they won? I'm going to say I don't think so. Because, I mean, if you they think about Kyrie. it, Kyrie did balance out LeBron, and and, may, and it forced defenses to be accountable for someone else. Because if you left Kyrie alone, which at the end of the day, when they did, he was the guy who made the big shot, right? Am I misremembering yeah. that? No, right? He made the big three-pointer. Right. And that's because you had to account for – for LeBron James, I do think that they made each other better. And I don't know that LeBron would have won if he wasn't there because LeBron wouldn't have won in Miami if it wasn't for Dwayne Wade. And oh my God, why am I forgetting? His Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh. Chris, I'm going to say Chris yeah. Paul. Yeah. Like, I know it's not Chris Paul. Chris Bosh. <laughs> and he wouldn't have won in LA if it wasn't for Anthony right. Davis. So, right. Like you yeah. can't, I don't care how good of a player you are. You can't do it alone. Like one of the, the segments on our show today was like Giannis in Milwaukee and whether or not him being there for five years is like guaranteed Milwaukee is going to be good. I was like, first of all, I live there. It's never going to be good. They're like snake bitten. Um, <laughs> second of all, like, do we really, like, are any of us really that afraid of like Drew uh, Holiday and Chris Middleton? I don't know that really? I am. And I don't know that you can get, I mean, maybe, maybe Giannis brings another big star to Milwaukee, but stars seem to want to go to like Miami and LA, not Milwaukee. And that's what I said today. But now that he's signed that contract, know, at least maybe. they have some kind of leverage to say, hey, Giannis is here. Like, come on in. Let's let's go do this. But yeah, I feel like the way they're going to do that is by trade. That's how you're going to see another right. star come in there. But they, but they honestly like because of that deal they made for Drew, 
they really don't have much to trade at this no, point. No. So or if you. anything, you'd have to get somebody on like oh, like a short one year that just really wants to win a championship. But when you go after guys like that who don't need long term security, you're going after an older guy. And so then there's always yeah. going to be question marks. So I don't know. That was kind of the Boston thing back in, you know, the the late 2000s when they brought in uh, Garnett and Allen. And that was kind of the thing. It wasn't supposed to be a long term thing. It turned into a longer term thing, but they won that championship on the front end of those contracts. So, yeah, I mean, so they're, they're going to have to do the same thing. Injuries kill them. Bummer. It's the way it goes. It's what's going to happen in, in Brooklyn this year. Kyrie's going to get hurt and start. Oh, and, um, also, Katie is, I think, already like I've had enough of this guy. Cool I, from I think afar, so too. but far from cool up close. Well, they also said that that KD was trying to bring in uh, James Harden, and that Kyrie was basically saying no. That he, he didn't. looks thick tonight. Who's that, oh. Harden? Yeah. Well, that's because he was. Did you say he looks out. thick? Yeah, yeah. All <laughs> that partying in Vegas. That's, that's right. Way to commit yeah. yourself, yeah. buddy. Yeah, right. I couldn't get. He grew, he grew the beard so you couldn't tell that he's got a little like chub going on down here. You know. Nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to ask. So before we get into uh, anything else, I want to ask. Um, you know, we talked about your Boston sports history. We talked about the fact you filled on the sports hub. Um, most notably, you filled in for Felger and Maz uh, for a few uh, a few episodes where they weren't there. Who to to you? Who is the better? Not better. Who's the bigger pain in the ass? Felger or Maz? I'll just I'll just ask you straight up. Everyone knows they're both. And I'm going to walk with you guys for a second. I have to open my door. My boyfriend's coming over. Out, out. And I should probably just give him a key, but I don't. I just keep opening the door. He can get himself in, but he can't get himself into the main door. I still don't trust him. I'm just kidding. Uh, Relationship advice with Trenny Kisner. Everyone is seeing my like four foot apartment. It's the smallest. I like that wall. Oh, thanks. Natural brick. Natural brick. Natural brick. Um, who's the bigger pain in the ass? So I have not had to work much with Maz, so I cannot speak to Maz's, Maz's, um, how big of a pain he is. I will say this about Felger, Bark is worse than his bite. He plays this role like, ah, I'm such a curmudgeon jerk on the radio, but he's actually like, I called him for some like career advice like a week ago and he was like well-prepared he was super kind about it. Although he is, he is, I will say this about him. This is where he's the same in real life as he is on the radio. No BS. Like, you know how he's always like, no pleasantries, no pleasantries. Like, yeah. does not really, like when we, when the conversation was done, he's like, all right, kid, good talking to you. Bye. And I was like, oh, that's, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, oh, we're, we're done. Okay, we're done talking. All right, grandpa. Yeah. So know how so, you doing today? That doesn't exist well, with Felger in real life I, either. You know what? I honestly, Bob, I don't think he asked me how I was. I think it was just more like, okay, so what can I do? What can I help you with? And I was like, Which is interesting cool, are because it's, it, it drives him <laughs> nuts. Is, we used to work together. I'd be like, how are Sarah? How are the girls? What's going on? Fine, fine, fine. What are we talking about in this segment? Which is weird for him because that shows that he's been in Boston longer than you because you're both from Milwaukee. So I know. You know what, though? I mean, he's been gone for a long time. Like, he left Milwaukee, I want to say he was, like, 16. He might have been, like, a junior or something. Um, And then he lived in Naples, which is where his parents are now. Um, And then he came to BU. And he's, I mean, Felger, not to, like, out him, but I think he's almost 50. So, you know, if he came here at 18, he's been here for, is that... 32, 32 years, years. 
Like that's a lot, you know, that's a long time. I mean, he's essentially more of a Bostonian than he is a Midwesterner. Though man, he still has that accent. It's like he won't let it yeah, go. Yeah, he does. Oh, when he says oh, sorry, I feel as he plays it up a little bit. Oh, he bit. totally does. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'll be honest, I can hear it a little bit in, in your voice still as well. Oh, for sure. From time to yeah. time. And I haven't had any cocktails. If I have a cocktail or two, look out. Yeah, we have friends like that, and then their Boston accent comes up, but the Midwestern accent is much more pleasant than the Boston accent. I think you would agree with that, too. I mean, neither is good. <laughs> we'll call it a wash. At its harshest form, neither is great. So one other thing uh, that we really wanted to get into tonight is, um, for those of you that don't know, uh, while, while Trenny is very straightforward and, uh, you know, doesn't take any crap, just like Felger, she's also a big mental health advocate. And I think those two things go hand in hand. Um, uh, and in Milwaukee Magazine in 2012, uh, Trenny, you are quoted as saying, I had a six-figure job makeup people, hair people, 10,000 Twitter followers, a smart, attractive, funny boyfriend uh, who I wouldn't give a key to. uh, And, and I just couldn't snap out of it when it came to depression and anxiety. Talk a little bit about depression and anxiety and working in such a fast paced um, job that, that you work in. Yeah. Honestly, uh, at times, Joe, it was helpful to be in this kind of an industry because you have to focus, right? So you don't have, I mean, your mind can wander, but it can't wander for long because at some point you've got a producer who's screaming in your ear or you're conversing with someone or you're interviewing someone. So it's a good focal point. Um, Where it was tough was it could be extra exhausting at the end of the day. Like you have to constantly be on for people. And if you're trying to work through, you know, any kind of like massive depression or anxiety, that's exhausting already. And you don't oftentimes have the energy to do basic life things, um, let alone then come home, you know, then like go out with friends. Um, when I was living in New York, that's when the article was written kind of that time frame. Uh, when I was working for MLB Network and living in New York, like I remember there was like a weekend that I had off. And I didn't leave the, I mean, I lived in New York and it was like a beautiful, like nice weekend. And I didn't leave the house. Like I watched like, I think two seasons of Glee and I did not leave my couch. Um, and it was at that point that I realized like, okay, things are kind of not great. Um, and they sort of progressively got worse and then got better, which um, I think that's hard for people to understand sometimes. I think it's hard for people to understand that it's cyclical, um, that it's kind of, it's something you really kind of always have to manage and keep an eye on. Um, and that it's not something you can just snap out of, you know, it's not just as easy as, and God bless people because when I am open about going through something, people always say, well, what can I do? Or how can I help? Or I'm happy to listen. And while that's wonderful and and, and helpful to hear, it's also not always the solution. Um, you know, sometimes the solution is just, being by yourself. Sometimes the solution is talking it through. Sometimes the solution is more often than not, the solution is like actually getting professional um, help and talking to a therapist or maybe even going on medication um, to regulate everything. Um, and I, I, I hope as a society, I mean, I, I guess one of the weird positives of pandemic, I think has been that it, it's shown a light um, on mental health issues more so than sure. before. Um, and made it more of like an easy conversation topic for people and less stigmatized. Um, so I'm hoping that that helps, uh, that, that, at least that's come out of it. 
um, or you can do telehealth and there's easier ways to access care and that that ease of access to care continues after this is all over. And I think that's the, one of the biggest things that you mentioned right there was sometimes people want to help, but you don't need it. But it's also on the flip side, sometimes uh, when people don't understand or they try to understand, but they just don't. And then they get frustrated with you. Yeah. And then it kind of sends you into a cycle of, you know, I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to uh, help you understand, but you're, you just, you have to just absorb and, and the, the person that you're talking to or vice versa, if it's somebody that's having an issue and trying to open up to you. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. I, I've had that conversation with these guys, Bobby and I had that conversation a few weeks ago mm-hmm. um, where I was having a tough time. We had a misunderstanding and it was because we weren't, as we talked about before we came on, we weren't effectively communicating our feelings with each other and how we actually felt about the situation. He didn't understand what I was going through. I didn't understand what he was going through. And now we just argue about Jimmy Garoppolo being the next quarterback of the New England Patriots and uh, Kyrie Irving being awful. So, but I know I, I meant to bring that up earlier and I didn't. So I had to throw something in there. Yeah. So, so my question for you is I know that, um, you know, as someone who also has dealt with something along these same lines is it's, it's always harder to admit that you're going through something because you don't know that other people are doing it. You kind of feel like you're alone. You're on your own Island and you're the only one who feels like this. Everyone's going to think you're crazy. Do you think that people coming out like Dak Prescott, Hayden Hurst, yourself, um, these people in these high profile positions really push the depression and mental health issue to that forefront and really help make awareness almost just to other people who may not be dealing with this, that like, listen, this is a real thing that not only normal people deal with that people you think are crazy deal with, but people that are in these high respected positions are also dealing with these things on an everyday basis. I hope so. Um, I think it's really important for people to talk about it. Um, and I always say like, that doesn't mean that you're like spill your guts to every single person that you meet. Uh, Absolutely. but even just being honest with like one or two people in your small circle, like, I feel like that has like a ripple out effect. Cause maybe you tell one person about it because you feel comfortable with them for whatever reason, and they're struggling or they know someone who's struggling and they understand how to better handle it. I think what's most important about athletes talking about it is that a lot of times it's male athletes. And, um, if there's one part of the population, one, you know, part of like life where I think, um, men, particularly white men get really overlooked is in the mental health sphere. Um, it's still really stigmatized. It's like, you're supposed to be this like strong person who can handle everything and not get stressed out, which is ridiculous. Um, whether you're a pro athlete or like, you know, you know, Joe Blow, who's walking down the street. I mean, to like right now, some of the people who are suffering the most are middle-aged white males. Um, for various reasons. And to me, that's a group that needs to not be forgotten about and needs not to be stigmatized or told that they are wrong or um, that their feelings aren't valid or worthy. Um, that's a real crucial group. I think that we need to address that. And honestly, like under uh, like marginalized communities, minority communities, because in, in those two s- sections, I always say this white women like we got therapy down. Like everyone's had a therapist. Every girl I know has had a therapist forever. It was on like sex in the city, like in the late nineties, early two thousands. Like it was all anyone <laughs> talked about, like women are always, we're always talking about our freaking feelings. Like it's not as, it's not as difficult of a topic, but it is a really difficult topic 
for someone who's living in an area that is strewn with violence and gangs and drugs. It is a huge issue for, you know, a, you know, a 52 year old white guy who lost his job and is trying to support his family and trying to put up this facade um, that needs to know that it's okay to not be okay. Like we need, those are the groups like we, I think we really need to be reaching. And I'm hopeful that when somebody who is a 32-year-old superstar with a $100 million contract says there were days I couldn't get out of bed, that that 55-year-old of the family says, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not a failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that, and that's the biggest thing. And like Bobby, Bobby said it, and you just said it there, is, you know, it's even in this article where I just read the quote, you know, all these things going for you and everybody thinks you have this perfect life and nothing's wrong. Um, but there is that shot uh, after the game between Hayden Hurst plays for the Falcons, right? Yeah, it's Falcons. Falcons. The Falcons not yet because he was with the Ravens at one point, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and he he saw he went and found Dak running into the tunnel and stopped him, and it's such a powerful um, piece of video because Hayden, I mean Hayden Hurst, his story is incredible, um, and how he bounced back, and it's just that big thing of. Man, if people can advocate and somebody that makes the money that Dak Prescott does and, and is as much in the public eye, I, you're absolutely right, Trini, that that the person, you know, that whether it's the 33-year-old guy doing a podcast or the 52-year-old guy with a family, you just have to be able to understand that you're not the only one going through it and that, you know, there is there is help of some kind, regardless of how tough or you feel you are or as deep of a hole you think you're in. And, you know, I think what too is what's telling about how far we've come, as I'm sure you guys saw this, like after Dak Prescott was really honest about things, Skip Bayless being Skip Bayless called him out, said he kind of wasn't a also good teammate, like, like suggested that he was weak or not a good leader for talking about it. And Bayless got skewered by people. Oh like you yeah. You couldn't go did. through not again. I always like to say Twitter is not the barometer of what like real people think, but it does sort of show which ways you know individuals are leaning and thinking. And when ninety-seven or ninety-eight percent of the comments in you know on his comments are stopping a jerk, this is a real issue. To me, that's sign of pro- that's a sign of progress. Absolutely, uh, especially from those Twitter trolls, because the other two percent of accounts that Skip Bayless has following him are his burners anyway. Yeah, or yeah, and, <laughs> on that same note, I actually saw a post recently about Dak Prescott. Someone, so I, I obviously follow a Cowboys fan. I know follow a lot of Cowboys fan pages on Facebook, um, and as you can imagine, the Cowboys fan base is a very diverse fan base. We'll call it um, so. Someone posted on that. It was like, I think Dak, Dak Prescott's such a leader. The fact that he came out about these mental health issues shows how much of a, uh, how tough this man really is, not only as like a person, but like spiritually, he's just a tough human being in that like he needs to be regarded as this leader. Obviously, there was a comment underneath it that started calling him out like he was, you know, less of a man and all this stuff. And the comments that this comment got were just like, it was like instantly there was 90 comments telling about, talking to this guy about how much of a bigot he is. Um, so yeah, couldn't agree more that we're definitely going in the right place as a society. When, when you see people ganging up on someone who is trying to make someone feel less of a person for something like that, it's just, it makes you feel good. I yeah. It's yeah. like, a, it's, it's like, okay, we aren't, we aren't, we haven't completely um, devolved as a, as a, as a species. 
And, and sometimes those people that are making those comments are other, in other situations are trolls. But right. at that point, you realize, all right, let's let's put a human side to this, and and let's not let, let's not dehumanize someone uh, because they're talking about their feelings. All of a sudden, that's just that's unfair uh, on yeah. so many levels. Imagine that. <laughs> I said that to Dean Blandino too about officials. I was like, let's humanize officials in football. And then he used it on his podcast the next week. And I was like, all right, we're resonating Whoa. somewhere. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if you could just drop something, Bobby says, so one thing you mentioned uh, earlier about how sometimes you cope with things uh, in terms of mental health is staying busy, uh, whether it's work um, or a, a few other things you mentioned. You mentioned you were training for the 2015 marathon when you were at the 2014 Olympics in Sochi. That was actually the second time you had to run a marathon uh, because you not only run marathons, but you also climb mountains, like to take your solo trips. And you do, you used to take motorcycle lesson, riding did. lessons. I learned how to, I hated it. Can I be honest? I hated it. It freaked me out because my anxiety was so bad. Like I was always afraid I was going to crash. Like I couldn't, I, I don't like, I don't like lack of control. No, I felt like I had no control over the thing, but I was doing it at the time I was working in radio in Milwaukee and like Harley Davidson was one of our advertisers. And they're like, Oh, it would be a great spot. If we like teach training how to ride a motorcycle, we're trying to get female ridership up. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And like, guess what guys on a tiny little bike in a parking lot, it's really fun when you go on actual on the actual road. No, I was a hard pass. So I did get my license. I passed my test. Um, and then when I moved here, they were like, Oh, do you want to renew your motorcycle license? So I was like, Nope, nope, I'm good. Mm, good. Not here, especially. I think it's a death trap. Definitely not in Massachusetts. Do not ride a motorcycle in yeah. Massachusetts. At least they require helmets. In my they don't require helmets in Wisconsin. I'm scared walking. Yeah, that's what we've been saying about New Hampshire lately. They're gonna have to change their uh, state slogan to live free and die. Um so <laughs> I know. I There's know. the dad joke. Sorry. I, all right. That's a, that's hard. It almost felt like you had that prepared before the show. Like, like you well, knew we were gonna talk about this. You know what I mean? I didn't. I didn't until she mentioned the helmet thing. I was like, we're not gonna mention New Hampshire state slogan. Well, one of our other uh podcast members, Mike Marcangelo, is from Londonderry, New Hampshire originally. So uh, we can't tease him much because he's a Boston guy now. Now, but you know I, how much of a uh, New Hampshire person are you if you're from Nashua anyway? So uh, so you, <laughs> so tell us about running the Boston Marathon because it's something that I can tell you I will never do. What was that experience like for you? Well, I've run it um, a number of times. Um, I ran it in 2010, 2012, 2014, but I didn't finish because I almost pooped my pants. Um, true story. <laughs> uh, and 2015, and then I. Is are you telling me to go back and tell it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, we need to hear that story. Yeah, we need to hear that. I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure. By the way, that my boyfriend is standing outside the door, just listening to this, too afraid to like walk in and interrupt it because it only takes him like six minutes to walk here. He lives up the street. So, John, I hope you're enjoying this. Um, so I, uh, I trained. I trained so hard for it. I trained while I was in Sochi. Like I gave up drinking. Like, okay, not entirely in Sochi, but in the times around Sochi. Like I was determined to have the best race of my life. And like three days before the race, a math bib pickup. And I'm like, oh, I feel kind of like under the weather. Like, oh, I feel like, I'm like, oh, it's probably just nerves. Just like a little cold, you know, bodies, like immune, immune response. So I start drinking like vitamin C, like whatever emergency and on the morning of the race, I get up and like my stomach wasn't feeling very well. And, you know, 
Usually you have to have like your morning pre-run poop. Like that's just what runners do. May have been a few more than usual, but I was like, I'm just nervous. This is such a big deal to me. Like everybody's here. Everyone's cheering me on. It's the year after the bombing. Like they were going to interview me. Like Bob Newmeyer was at the finish line. I was going to do an interview with him afterwards. And so I get to Hopkinton and I get sick again a little bit. And I'm like kind of feeling like weird, like cold, hot flashes. And it's like, I'm fine. I'm just nervous. Don't worry about it. So I run, I'm like one mile into the race and I get like getting stomach cramps. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm running like an 8.15. Like at this point, like I'm training to run like a 7.45, 7.50 pace, like well under like three, like going under, like I'm hoping for like 3.25 to 3.30, like finishing time. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. I'm not even going that fast. I'm like, my stomach really hurts. And like, further I go, the further I go in the race, I'm like, oh, something is not right. So I'm coming up like the crest over the hill in Wellesley, um, at Wellesley college in the scream tunnel. And like, I can't even listen to the girls scream. Cause I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have diarrhea in Wellesley. Like this is where, this is how it's going to be. I've been here for two years. Most people have had diarrhea in Wellesley, just I've so you know. Two years. And this is what's going to happen. This is going to be my life. I'm going to be known. Falgar and Maz are going to talk about me. Touch and Rich are going to talk about me because everyone's going to find out that I like explosive diarrhea on the Boston Marathon course. So I pull off, I find a porta potty. We thankfully have it there instead of, I, I had a Lamar Jackson moment. Let's just call it what it is. We can now call it a Lamar Jackson. I was Jackson. waiting for it. Nice. And so I... I go back on the course, though. I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. Like, unlike Lamar Jackson, I didn't get an IV afterwards. I was like, oh, I'll just drink more water and Gatorade in the course. You just dehydrated your entire body. Oh, my God. I was so (laughs) dehydrated, you guys. I was so dehydrated. By the time I got to, like, it's around, like, mile 16, 17, right by Newton Wellesley Hospital, I literally could not see straight. Like, I I was kind of weaving to the point where someone, a spectator, like yelled, like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't think so. I don't feel really well. And I just sat down and started to cry. I was like, and this little girl's like, you want oh, no. some water? I was like, yes, I want water. No one was like, hey, maybe we should check on the Comcast Sportsnet personality oh, no. training no, no sitting on the corner over <laughs> there. No, no idea. <laughs> or if they did, they were like, oh, this poor thing. So I go and I walk to this medical area and I, the guy's like, I'm like sobbing. I was like, I trained so hard. He's like, well, you can probably finish. Most people can. We'll just get some like, like thicker fluids in you. We'll get you some like broth and like a higher like sodium concentrated Gatorade. And then he took my vitals and he was like, oh no, you have to go to the hospital. And I was like, what? And he was like, your heart rate is so low and your blood pressure is so high. He's like, you are severely, severely dehydrated. He's like, I cannot let you back on the course. And I was like, okay, the emergency room is right there. I'll walk. He's like, under law, I can't. They had to put me in an ambulance. I could really see the emergency room <laughs> sign. And then I went and told the story on Touch and Rich the next morning. So you, so you got up the next morning and everything was good. Nope. I felt like terrible for like three days because they, so when I went to the, I got an IV and stuff at the hospital and the woman's like, well, it sounds like you have the norovirus. She's like, lots of people have had the, it was like, it was going around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what she thinks that I had. But then I went out, um, five weeks later and ran a PR at Sugar Local. So take that Boston Marathon. Yeah, take that neurovirus. Take that, take that diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> nice good 18 mile training run. 
That's right. That's right. I almost ran into Georgia for this. Sorry, I interrupted your like accomplishments of running the Boston Marathon and making you tell the story about no. how you pooped your pain <laughs> while doing it. We're very proud of you for running the Boston Marathon. That's a nope. great accomplishment. None of the other stories are good. All the other ones are just like, yeah, whatever. I finished. It was fine. I qualified. Yeah, I was going to say, what happened in 2015? Yeah. I was supposed to run this year, so hopefully I get to run next year. She's like, I finished. I don't know. <laughs> so. So one one last thing, uh, uh, sports related, that I'd like to ask you is one: Who is your favorite Milwaukee or Green Bay athlete of all time? Robin Yount, not even close. Fair enough. How about your? Since you've been in Boston, and we we give just about everybody the the benefit of the doubt in Boston, except for uh, Dennis Weidman and Kyrie Irving. Uh, that's my don't. personal. I I can't I stay Dennis Weidman. Dennis Weidman and Kyrie Irving. I don't know if Dennis Weidman was here when you I were here. He so. played for the Bruins. No. Uh, who oh. would be he's your favorite? Held like he's held like a fifteen year vendetta against Dennis Weidman, and really yeah. have nothing to back it up. The Kyrie one I can back up until the cows come home, but the the Dennis Weidman one just something about his face. I don't know what yeah, it is. That's fair. You don't like everybody's face. <laughs> That's Fine. true. Um, what about in Boston? Who was, I won't say your favorite Boston athlete of all time, but who would be like one of your favorite guys to have, have interviewed, worked with, or just been around? Um, okay. So Mike Napoli will always hold a special place in my heart. Cause he's just a crazy nice. person. Um, and he made covering that team in 2013. So much fun. Like he was, and he was just a fun guy, like a good guy, easy to work with. Because always go to him for anything. Um, and also, like I'm a huge Jalen Brown fan. I mean, anyone yeah, knows nice. like that I'm a total social justice warrior. That is not going to surprise anyone. But like, I just think he's a, I just think he's a really articulate, thoughtful, like so much more than a basketball player. I and uh, I, I just, I, I, I can't. And he's also, I think, also part of the reason I've done some mental health things with him um and he's a big mental health advocate i'm also a huge i love brad stevens like i i i probably am a little too easy on the celtics sometimes because i like the players so much like genuinely love them. we'll remember that during the season oh yeah i i have, I have been a little <laughs> harsh on danny this year that's okay it's okay to be harsh on gm we've been very harsh on bill too so i'm a danny oh, truther i've been a terrible gm lately Oh, Mike's going to love that. Well, so Bob and I actually got into it about Danny because yeah. I, I almost called the Gordon Hayward situation to a T, but just had the team wrong. And because Bobby, Bobby was like, this is great. He's going to trade him to Indiana. We're going to get everything back. We're going to have Miles Turner here. And I was like, no, Bobby, that's not going to happen. He's I don't know why, else. but he does. Although somebody, and it was Drapes before he left, or it might be Forsberg has pointed out, like, those guys all played with Miles Turner last year internationally. And if they really wanted them, they could have gone to Danny and been like, this would be a great addition. And they clearly didn't. So maybe, yeah, That's maybe they thought Tristan point. was a better point, ad. Point Chris Forsberg. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That's, that's a good point. I like the that. last, so, last name drop of the night. Yeah. <laughs> you can drop I'm as many names as you want. You know, we, we try to say that before every interview, we're like, just don't make them name drop. It's about them. Like, let's, we're going to interview Trenny. We're not going to interview her about all the people she's been around. Like, we don't want to be like, Hey, tell us more about Abby Chin. I uh, love talking you know, about Abby Chin. So I was happy to talk about her and our matching dresses tonight. 
<laughs> she has been very gracious uh, to Craig through all of this. And, and, you know, Craig's like, she's got two kids, but you're on the show too, Joe. So we get this. Like we can't start until eight 15 because of my two kids. They're both upstairs, hopefully sleeping at this point, not making their mother's life a living. You'll hell. also find out about me that I'll tell the producer, like, no, I, I can only do 30 minutes and an hour and 10 minutes later, I'll still be talking to you. I, I'm not going to lie for the last, for the last 45 minutes. I've been like, I've been like typing the joke, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. We probably should because I am 90. I mean, I'm not even 99.9% sure. I'm 100% sure my poor boyfriend is just sitting in the doorway, like on his phone, waiting for me to finish. Probably playing. Plus. Because I, I'm a, I'm a radio producer, uh, IRL. And, um, so I, I, you know, like your producers, I was like the deadline. So I was like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. But they also know that if I'm on a show or an interview, that if we call for a half hour, it's going to be close to 90 I, minutes. So. I know if any of you were on a show, the if, if the interview is 30 we, minutes, it's going to be 60. Listen, when we get guests like Trenny, who just keeps going and, and t- telling stories, we're going to let her keep going. So give our sincerest apologies to John. We're sure he's a wonderful oh, it's John, guy. not John, but I love John. That's John. okay. For a long time, every every time I told people I had a boyfriend, they're like, "Is it the donut guy?" And that that's a story, also a story. Not that's not a story I'll tell like publicly, but <laughs> ask failure that story one time. So poor Sean has been called now the donut guy and John. So who cares? He doesn't like. He doesn't like. Oh. It never likes it to be about him anyway. Uh, it can always be. I'm always the center of attention, so it's perfect. <laughs> you, you looked very disappointed saying that. You're like, but like you know, probably without me. Well, listen, and this is why we go into My stuff like this. might be getting returned right now, but... No, he's fine. He's right outside. He doesn't have a key. He can't go back in. That's true. I can't even the door. key. Well, please tell Sean that we, uh, we are giving our sincerest apologies. But, Trenny, before we let you go, uh, please tell us what you're doing now and, and where we can find you. Every night, Monday through Friday, um, on NBC Sports Boston, early edition. Um it's 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 me now it's me i'm in the host chair r.a.p gary not r.a.p i mean obviously he's fine and alive and yeah we, we know that we we're trying to get him too but oh i will help with that i will tell him that he should do it um, awesome yeah please but do. yeah every night talking sports uh during football season we're 6 30 to 7 but once the patriots are done and our football shows are done it'll be back to my normal time of six to seven just an hour of super fun sports talk today I broke down Lamar Jackson's poop run. So, I mean, you are going to get hard hitting things on my show. We may have to find that sound clip and, and put it up on, uh, on our Instagram, just for people a preview, to a preview of what you can expect I on this like, show. <laughs> you know what, Ted Johnson, you can take your little telestrator segment. I don't think it was anywhere close to me breaking down Lamar Jackson running to the bathroom. Well, of course not. But if Ted Johnson's doing Telestrator, he's just trying to be Bill Belichick. Anyway. Well, now he's not coming on the show. Oh, well. I don't care what Omar Jackson said. That man definitely shit his pants last night. <laughs> There's no <laughs> doubt about that. The way he was running to that bathroom, that was, I, I have to shit my pants. Yeah, I was going to say, he might not, have, might not have totally come out, but he was holding <laughs> it in. Oh, it was in there. It was coming. It was, yeah. It was, yeah. What gave it away was he was running through the hallway and he got to the door. He was like, yes, get out of my way. Get out of my way. <laughs> well, and the guy that came out, which clearly was like an assistant to the assistant to the assistant equipment manager and looked at him and was like, that's Lamar Jackson. Like, what is he doing coming to the, like mid game? It was, that was so funny. That was great. And Trace McSorley led a great drive down the field too. So who knew how much this interview would revolve around poop? We we didn't get <laughs> I think Trenny just Trenny, I think you just went muted there. We can't hear you. Oh, there we go. Cause I accidentally there we go. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. So uh 
anyway, yeah, who would have known that we this would have revolved around poop? So yeah. terrible. <laughs> that's how we're gonna wrap up to our say. first yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. ever with Trenny Kisner. So uh Trenny, where can we find you on social media? We'll have it down in the in the show notes, but where can we find you? Twitter just at Trenny and on Instagram at Trenny NBCS. Awesome. And, she, and she gets her own special page on the website, so they'll be able to find her there too. There you go. You're now you're famous, Trenny. So famous. <laughs> Now when I almost put my pants next time at the Boston Marathon, someone will know who I am. <laughs> when you're sitting down in front of the emergency room, they'll go, you're Trini Kuzmarek. <laughs> time. We heard you on Missing the Point. This It's now seven years later. This is awesome. Uh, oh. That was great. Thank you, well, Trini, you guys. Yeah, yeah Trini Kuzmarek, thank you for joining us uh, on Missing the Point. Uh, for our EP, Craig D'Alessandro and Bob Kelly, I'm Joe Malkin. And once again, to thank you to our special guest, Trenny Kisnerik, and we'll see you guys next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.